when all other lights go out, he still shines. Well, this became the anthem to Marie Monville's life when on October 2nd, 2006, her then-husband made a decision to hold an Amish schoolhouse hostage forever changing life as she knew it. This is Marie's testimony, this book, One Light Still Shines, My Life Beyond the Shadow of the Amish Schoolhouse Shooting, forged while moving through unthinkable circumstances into the unfathomable love of God, her father. On her darkest day, Marie simply chose to believe that he is. It's interesting, Paul Henderson last week, a Canadian hockey legend, said something similar when it came to the Humboldt bus tragedy. You know, this tractor trailer looks like smashed into a, a bus filled with, with uh, young guys, hockey players, and, and uh, other people on there as well, the coach and everybody else. And how many were killed? 16, I think? It's 16 now, yes. And Paul said, well, you know, for those who are shaking their fist at God, you can either look upwards and, and get angry with God, or you can just simply go, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. And then the rest of that sentence goes with Marie. It goes to, I don't understand, but I will stay with you are. You are God. And that's a that's a thing that really baffles a lot of people, right? Not only the, God, how could you let this happen? But then, God, how could you let this happen? But I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to trust you. And and then the whole forgiveness thing. I mean, that's just a bizarre phenomenon. The The way the Amish community forgave the shooter is something that the rest of the world still doesn't trust or believe. I have a problem with it. I said to you earlier in the show, Tim, you know, premature forgiveness, is, is that real? Is there such a thing as premature forgiveness? What do you think? Uh, well, I, I said it, it's, a, it, it's a two-sided coin. I think that, you know, it, people need to process and maybe they can never forgive and they need to do it right away as a part of healing. Uh, maybe it's a more a more real, quote-unquote, a deeper forgiveness when you do process everything and then you do forgive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to try and give forgiveness a quantifiable whateverness, I... I don't think you can do that. I, I think Did you say a quantifiable whateverness? whateverness. Yeah, I, like a measurement, a like a, a quality. Uh, you know, whether it's right or wrong, I, I think that's that's kind of kind of silly with regards to something as as unmeasurable as forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't know. The only the heart of the person that's offering forgiveness is the one that truly knows. Marie, that's why you're on the show. You basically are going to be our therapist today, if you don't mind. I will give it my best shot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. The website, by the way, is mariemonville.com. Marie, M-A-R-I-E, one R, Monville, M-O-N-V-I-L-L-E.com, Marie Monville. Uh, Marie, I can imagine the media onslaught over the last number of years, but I'm assuming things have slowed down a little bit. Have they not? They have, Yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes to coming on our show because I, I just can only imagine how irritating us people are sticking our nose in your business. No, actually, it was a nice surprise getting your email this week. Um, and I, I do love talking about these kind of things, you know, these real um, faith-based moments about how do you get through hard times? Because I think regardless of what the circumstance might be, everybody goes through things that are difficult in their life. Well, okay, so, okay, let's jump into this. You were at, sure. a, you were at like a Bible study when all this mm-hmm. was, was kind of going down? I was leading a prayer group. I led the prayer group for the moms for our local elementary school. 
So I was there and had come home that morning expecting Charlie to be home. He said he was running some errands for work. And I usually went in to help in one of our children's classes that after in, on Monday afternoon. So I was expecting him to be there. And instead, um, he called me and said, I'm not coming home. Okay, so, you know, my first... I don't know, jerk question is, you're doing all the right God stuff. You're there leading the right. leading the prayer group. You know, you're being a spiritual, you know, you're mm-hmm. ta- you're talking to the God that is allowing, and I use that in quote, in, in parentheses, sure. that is allowing this thing to happen. That math doesn't mm-hmm. make sense for a lot of people. You know, I think that's probably one of the questions that people ask me most often. Why did God allow that to happen? Why does God allow bad things to happen? And I don't really have any concrete answer for that other than the fact that we live in a world where people make their own choices. So sometimes we're walking out the aftermath of someone's choice, which is, you know, very much the case for me and a lot of people in regards to those situations. Yeah. And I look, I get it. I get the fact that we live in a in a world where I guess a part of being human, a real human, involves having choice. Choice to do right, choice right. to do wrong, choice to do good, choice to do evil, whatever. So I get that. But I'm trying to sort of throw in, I guess, a little salt in this wound and go, you were praying. You were leading a prayer group. It's not like you were out at the casino, you know, or I don't know, doing lines of coke in your basement at the time. You were doing the right Jesus stuff, quote unquote. There's a disconnect there. Sorry, go ahead. Sure. That's okay. I think that, you know, that's one of the very real things about Christianity. It's not just like this blanket statement or this, you know— get out of jail free card, you know, as if you're playing Monopoly. Um, it's real life and and things happen to all kinds of people, whether they're, um, you know, following Jesus in a way that looks like you're making all the right choices or maybe not making any right choices at all. It's, um, you know, and the thing that I've found in all of that is that our circumstances don't prove or disprove God's love. His love is seen by the way he comes right where we are and he walks with us. Okay, just... I know this is going to sound so Jerry Springer, so forgive me, but to help get us sure. in that mindset of really appreciating mm-hmm. the forgiveness we're about to talk about and the processing sure. of, of grief and whatever, you know, you, you had to do to get, get you through the night, you come home, mm-hmm. and you see the notes first, or the note, is that right? There was, he called. He called no, first. He, I didn't know anything about the notes until he called me. He called me and said, Marie, I'm not coming home. And you said, what do you mean you're not coming home? Exactly. And, you know, he started talking about all these things that really made no sense to me. Um, but I was concerned about him taking his own life. I had no idea that what he planned to do involved anyone else, much less children. Um, but I was concerned about him. So as he's going through his conversation, I'm saying, you know, please, whatever it is that you're planning to do, don't do it. There has to be another way. There's always another way. Um, but he just wasn't listening to me. And a lot of what he was saying just wasn't making any sense. And right before he hung up was when he referenced the notes. Okay. All right. So you're hearing this and you're thinking, by the way, the signs beforehand, everybody you know, says that. I'm sure you must have racked your brain going, how did I not see this? How could I not see? You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Did you, were you very aware of the funk that was he, he was in? Um, no. And, you know, we had been with both my parents and his parents over the weekend right before this happened. And we all asked ourselves, you know, a hundred times and talked about it together. How did we not see this? But he had just hidden it away inside of his heart um, so deeply that he just didn't let anyone have access to it. So 
was he crying on the phone? Was he angry? Was he? Did he just not sound like no. himself in any way? What were the emotions behind his his uh, there, conversation with you? There was really no emotion. His voice just sounded flat and cold and lifeless. You know, in a way that I had never heard his voice or anyone else's sound in my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, you, so you knew this was serious. You knew something was going to go down. Yeah. You just figured he was going to take his own life. Right. And when I read the letter that he left for me, um, still, it didn't make any sense, you know, but I thought, okay, this makes me even more concerned that he's going to take his own life. So I called 911 thinking, well, maybe something that seems really irrelevant to me would make sense to them. Maybe they could help to stop whatever it is that he's planning to do um, or just help, you know, help in some capacity. But as I talked to the dispatcher, it was clear to me that he knew far more than I did and he was not giving me any additional information. Oh, the dispatcher already knew what was going down. Yes. Yeah. (sighs) Man. So at what point then, Marie, did you find out what happened? So after I hung up the phone with the dispatcher, you know, he was saying, just stay at your home. We'll get in touch with you um, if there's any other things to share, any information we need. Uh, but I was hearing the sound of helicopters flying overhead and police cars racing up the street in the small community where I lived. You know, it's the kind of thing you want to say. There's no way these things can go together. But I knew, you know, in the pit of my stomach that this was all one thing. Uh, and it just it wasn't long until the police were in my driveway and I met them at the door and I said, it's Charlie, isn't it? And they said, yes. And I said, and he's dead, isn't he? And they said, yes. But you still didn't know what he had done. No, I still did not know. So they came in and started asking me questions and began to tell me about what had happened in the schoolhouse that day. And, and you know, it's one of those things that you just want to say there that this is not possible. You know, you want to say, there's no way this could happen. I know the kind of man that he is. There's no way that he's capable of doing that. Um, you know, it's very much the kind of thing you'd want to run far away from. But there was no way to do that because, you know, the evidence, so to speak, was staring me in the face. Uh, in the form of these officers who were all telling me all of these um, just shocking things that you would never, never want to hear. Marie, did you have to put up with the wrath of anyone? Because all I've really heard is how forgiving the Amish community was and how loving they were to you. And But did anyone pour out their wrath on you? Um, you know, I think that came more on social media or on news websites throughout the comments that people would write underneath the articles. Um, you know, just people really doubting that I couldn't have known anything, which I, I clearly did not know, you know, um, anything about it at all. Uh, so it was just kind of, you know, some of the naysayers and people who doubt, um, both in my community and then around the world. But uh, I really tried my best to stay off of the internet for, for several weeks, just because um, I expected that, you know. What was, Marie, what was the first experience that you had with a family member of one of the girls that your husband killed? So that day I went to my parents' house. They lived just down the street and around the corner, just a couple minutes, you know, from my home. I knew that I couldn't stay in my house because of the the media. We knew they were coming. Um, So I went to my parents' house thinking, well, this isn't very far, but it's better than being at my home. And I was standing in my parents' kitchen that afternoon, kind of looking out the window, thinking, how does the day start out so normal? You know, it was a beautiful day. It it started out like any other. 
Um, everything seemed fine. And by lunchtime, not only was I a widow and my children didn't have a father, but it was the way that he chose to leave this world and the aftermath of that. You know, how do you wake up in the morning and by noon, everything has changed? And I was kind of processing through some of that and asking God some of those unanswerable questions. And I started to see these Amish men walking down the street. And this was a, you know, a close-knit community. We all knew each other. We weren't strangers. Um, And I knew they were coming to my parents' house. And I went to my mom and dad and said, you know, what do I do? What could I possibly say to them in light of all they've faced today? Like, I I have nothing of value to offer them at all. And my dad said, you know, Marie, it's okay. You can stay inside the house and I'll go out and talk with them. And so I continued to watch from the window. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I saw everything. I saw the way that they put their hands on his shoulders and the tears that rolled down all of their faces and the way that they embraced my dad before they left. And as he came inside, we waited for him to collect himself from the emotion of that moment. And he said, Marie, they came because they were concerned about you. They were concerned about your kids. They wanted you to know that they had forgiven Charlie and they were extending grace and compassion over your family. And, and you know, for me, that was not what I expected because, you know, as I'm seeing them walk down the street, I'm thinking, what kind of questions might they ask? Might, what kind of demands might they make? And rightly so. Um, I was not anticipating that they were coming to give a gift. And that really is what they did. They came to give this gift to talk about the forgiveness that they had already extended in the way that that moved their hearts with compassion for all of us. Man. Um, I, I don't, I'm sure this is the question that you, you have been asked maybe more than any other question that and that of course is how do you tell your kids how does how does how does that happen you know when when I was at my parents house I was processing through that too earlier before this whole experience with the Amish uh, with the Amish men and I was sitting in my parents living room my mom and dad were out in the backyard with my kids my parents knew you know what had happened um, and they were just giving me some space and time to kind of figure out what I was going to say and what I was going to do. And I was just sitting there in the living room listening to the sounds of my kids' laughter flowing in from the window thinking, what I have to say could very well destroy them, and I don't want this to be the last time I ever hear the sound of their laughter. And I was crying out to the Lord saying, God, you've got to fix this because this was not supposed to be their life. They were not supposed to know pain and brokenness like this. I can't fix it, but you have to. And I felt like the Lord said to me, you know what, Marie, I'm not going to fix it, but I am going to redeem it. And it took away all the fear that I had about what would happen in their hearts and minds as I told them, you know, what had gone down that day. Um, And I simply, you know, called them in with my one, my daughter was seven, my son was five, and my other son was a year and a half. And and we just sat there and I said, um, you know, today your dad made some very bad choices. Some people got hurt, and some people died, and he died too. And I knew that that was as much as they needed to know in that moment, that I had to tell them the entire truth, you know, in the days ahead, but that they didn't need to know it all at once, that that was as much as their hearts could probably process in that moment, and then I would take time, you know, over the next couple of days more in a one-on-one capacity to unfold it at their level. Um, but, well, you know, it's the kind of thing that you ne- you never want to think you're going to have to talk about with you. No, no, no. Well, what about today, though? I mean, they're at the age now where, mm-hmm. you know, they can Google and read whatever they'd like. Oh, sure. And yeah. uh, has there been much kind of circling back on this that's needed to happen? Um, we, you know, we do talk about Charlie from time to time. 
I do touch base with them on on the facts of what happened. Um, not not like around the anniversary every year, but at some point during the year we talk about it because I don't want it to be this thing that's so far pushed back in their brains that it you know becomes something that it wasn't or you know doesn't look like the reality because who would want that to be the reality? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but also in the same way, I try to make sure that there are moments throughout the year where I'm affirming other things about who their dad was outside of that day um, because. They're, they're part of him, and I don't want them to carry, you know, the weight of shame of his last moments over onto their life. So I want to edify good things about who he was or foods that he liked that they like. You know, all those kind of little things that we would do with our kids about their parents anyway. We are speaking with Marie Monville. She's the wife of um, a schoolhouse shooter. Uh, she's the author of One Light Still Shines, My Life Beyond the Shadow of the Amish Schoolhouse Shooting. Uh, the website is mariemonville.com, M-O-N-V-I-L-L-E, Marie with one R. Uh, Marie, everything happens for a reason. I have never wanted to slug someone so hard than when that line comes out of their mouth. Uh, at, oh, at, yeah. at, you know what I mean? <laughs> I totally get it. Yep. <laughs> So I'm sure that dribbled out of someone's yap at some point to you. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, coupled with the, oh, this is just going to make you stronger. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I hate that one. Both of those together, they're just a combination, you know. Oh, the and the Lord yeah. is really going to use you. No, he might, but yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. In, in a mighty way, it's usually followed with that, in a mighty, mighty way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so yeah. so here's my, hold on, I'm not even sure if there's a questionnaire. I think it's more of a rant. I think it's, okay, everything happens for a reason. I, I kind of know what people are trying to say there, but number one, shut up. Don't say that to, uh, yeah. to people at the wrong time. If you want to believe it in your own yeah. little world, fine. Number two, I'm not sure that's necessarily... Uh, theologically accurate. In other words, um, you know, in order for for God to get the glory he deserves, because of course he's God, he needed to have six million Jews executed, or he needed to have someone's child raped and and, uh, dismembered. He needed to have, really? Really God needed that, did he? Okay. Um, So everything happens for a reason. Well, Marie, now you have this testimony and you have this platform and you have this book and you can change people's lives. And that's why God allowed this to happen. Everything happens for a reason. I call theological BS on this so badly right now. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I'm done. (laughs) You know, I... I usually say to people, you know what, I think God brings redemption to everything, but sure. um, I would I would not say everything happens for a reason. I think it's very easy for people to say that when they haven't had some kind of, you know, great tragedy affect their life or whatever. Um, you know, it, it feels like that good Christian-y, Christian-y thing to say, yeah. but, um, you know, the truth is God brings redemption, and yes, He does. He is able to take those broken places of our life and put them back together in an extraordinarily beautiful way. But that, I don't think that was ever, you know, his desire for our life, his desire for, for the Amish community, his desire for my kids, his desire for me. That was not—Charlie's choice was not God's desire. Sure, God can cause something beautiful to come out of what the enemy meant for evil, but, um, you know, I don't think that that was— 
his desire for what our lives were going to look like. No, no. I mean, again, we're saying that, sure, can God take uh, lemons and turn it into lemonade? Okay, fine. I get that. You know, sure. like, I think you said yeah. it better. God is can take, can redeem stuff and he can right. turn nasty stuff into good things. I get that. It's also along the same, the whole, um, sorry, I'm still ranting about this. Everything happens for a reason thing kind of goes along with the conversation I had with the Chapmans one time about uh, what I I have called target theology, which says if you're doing something for the Lord, if you're in the spotlight for the Lord, if you're in the front lines for the Lord, you know, like the the Stephen Curtis Chapman family and they're singing all the good (laughs) Jesus songs, then you have a bigger target on your head and the enemy of God is going to try to do lousy stuff to you to take you down. I just think, well, then, so you're saying that the more I do for God, the greater chance is my kid's going to get run over in our driveway by one of our other kids? Come on. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I think that's just the thing people <laughs> say to try to make it sound better, you know? Um, I think I think it's hard for people in the moment to be able to reach out to someone in a tragedy and just be there for them, just listen to them, instead of feeling like they have to fix it or make something better. Yeah. Did you did you ever find yourself? Well, I'm sorry. I'm assuming you must have, but let me just throw it out there in a more sure. of a neutral way. Were you ever really, really, really angry with Charlie? You know, I think um, for me, I knew that it was important for me to forgive Charlie because he referenced in his letter the loss of our first daughter. We had lost a daughter who was born prematurely, and she died. Um, And he kind of used that, you know, in the letter. That was what he referenced, that it was all the years of the anger and bitterness and his hatred towards the Lord for allowing that to happen. Um, That was kind of, you know, the thing that pushed him over the deep end, I guess you would say. Um, and and so I knew, okay, so if Charlie, all of this happened because of this place of his anger and bitterness towards the Lord, I don't want anger and bitterness in my heart. If that's what anger is capable of, I don't want it. Wow. So I knew, you know, I knew at the onset of this, I was going to have to forgive Charlie. Like I knew that I was going to have to. And I think um, for me, you know, my whole perspective on what forgiveness is was so changed by the Amish community, understanding that it's it's a gift, you know, and it's really about us, you know, their choice to forgive Charlie, my choice to forgive Charlie. It was not about Charlie. My choice to forgive Charlie was about me. It was all about opening my heart to allow God in to do what he wanted to do. Um, so it kind of separated these two things about how I felt about Charlie and what he did and how I felt about forgiveness and how God was going to, you know, help me through this whole healing process. And I think, you know, the thing that you guys were talking about um, right before I came on, this whole concept of forgiveness is that forgiveness looks like different things on different days, because sometimes, you know, we have maybe this like top layer of forgiveness towards a person or whatever, um, and, and we kind of get through that top layer and we think, okay, I've forgiven them, whatever. And then at some point, there's some random trigger that maybe we weren't expecting that brings us back to that starting place. And you have to kind of go through that whole process of forgiveness again um, on a deeper level until you get down to wherever it is, you know, the root of that in your heart. And so I think for me, my process of forgiveness for Charlie has looked like a lot of different things, a lot of incredible pain and brokenness over the lives that were changed because of his choice. Um, I think that was probably the overriding theme to how I felt so broken. Um, But it certainly, you know, encompassed a lot of emotions on any given day. 
that was a long yeah. radio silence thing. I'm just yeah. gobbed, as they say in Australia, I'm gobsmacked with all of this. And, and the, I mean, the, the grace that you've traveled through this, or I don't know, maybe you were all, have you always been this awesome? Um, you're, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to say yes. Why, yes, I have. I'm awesome anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, man. Marie, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time. For, 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 for Well, no, but it, because it's like you're, you're recounting and recounting and recounting. There's got to be a, a weirdness to that. And, um, and you are putting yourself out there. There is a self-sacrificial sure. aspect to this. And, and for you to be that vulnerable again with us is 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 brilliant but again let me just say one light still shines is the name of the book one light still shines my life beyond the shadow of the amish schoolhouse shooting marie monville uh, marie one r monville m-o-n-v-i-l-l-e dot com that's who we've been chatting with thank you so so much marie you're welcome take care bye 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 marie monville on the drew marshall show